I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 Hey everybody, welcome to Getting the Gospel Out podcast. Today we are asking the question, how do I share the gospel with a Muslim? Uh, Islam is growing in America. A CNN article predicts that by the year 2040, Islam uh, can be the second largest religion in the United States. And so this is a really important question for us, even if right now you don't even have any friends that are Muslim. I'm your host, Pastor Dan Jackson from Jacob's Well Church. And to consider this question with me today, I have my two friends back. First, we have with us a man who, over the course of several months, paid me hundreds of dollars to sleep in my bed. A man who could eat candy at every single meal, according to his wife. And a man who had a shock wire in his first apartment abroad. (laughs) Oh, man. Is this true? Mr. Ben Leatherberry. So can you tell us the story on this? Well, I feel like I need to mention... What it meant sleeping in Dan's bed, but I'll I'll just leave yeah. That why don't you well, can we go with that one first? <laughs> can't leave that wrong one. That one. <laughs> you can't. You can't so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you made your bed. You got to sleep in it there. Yeah. Uh, so no, we uh, my wife and I we uh, we rented Dan's his former home before he was able to sell it. Thank God they sold it. We did in fact sleep in Dan Jackson's bed. It was a lovely experience. Um, Unforgettable but th- <laughs> in every. <laughs> That, that will make the podcast. Right. That will. Uh, you forget this is going to be published on the World Wide Web, don't so, you? You forget these things. So uh, the shock wire, um, when my wife and I, we lived uh, in the in the Middle East for several years. And uh, the first apartment we had beyond just cockroaches and real angry pigeons outside of our bedroom oh. windows, there was just a, just a live... Open, open wire in our uh, in our shower in our bathroom. Not actually in the shower, next to the shower though. Um, the best part about it was I wrapped it up in a huge ball of tape, thinking that would do the trick. And one day when I turned the light on, it actually burst, and we had a nice streak across the wall. So yeah, that was a that wow. was a good experience. Wow, that's yep. intense. There you go. That's intense. All right, we also have my other friend with us, a man who has danced with the former president of Sudan. True story. A man who has named his biceps Tito and Lido. Also true. A man who introduced himself to my oldest son before I introduced myself <laughs> to my oldest son, Mr. Stephen Jones. Which one of those should we elaborate on? Probably you introducing. Do you, do you want to tell oh, the story or should I tell the, the, this, You tell it first. The, this is one of my all-time favorite stories to tell. Yeah. So, Dan, I'm 22. Dan texts me, hey, we're at the hospital. We're going to have Corbin, or I can't remember if you told him his name, but, and so I don't know. I don't have any friends that have kids. So I just put my jacket on or wherever I was, jumped in, went right to the hospital and uh, talked to the receptionist. Like, I'm looking for the Jacksons. Like, oh yeah, they're in this room. So I just, you know, most people would think to themselves, oh, well, you probably want to just see if everything's okay. I just opened the door as I'm opening it, knocked on the door and I hear this chorus of, who is it? <laughs> And, I, and I still remember <laughs> Stephen, Dan's friend, and the response from a 
trinity of people was get out yep, yep. and so so my son corbin who was in the middle of being birthed <gasps> Sorry. was introduced Stephen introduced himself to corbin before i did we have a special bond to this day yeah I'm still resentful. <laughs> Unforgettable. And why do you name your biceps? Just uh, that was in high school. I don't know. I've just kept. I've kept with it, and so I've I've encouraged all of my children to name their biceps, which they all have. Good. And I've also named my wife's biceps Molly and Polly. Good. Okay. <laughs> we won't spend any more time on that. Yeah. <laughs> why? That's what the, give the people what they paid for. We all know that's what they wanted to know. About. Yes. Tell me briefly, how did you come to know Jesus? I grew up in a Lutheran home. Um, my parents were incredibly, I would say, incredibly faithful, great parents. We went to church every Sunday. Um, and so I, I certainly knew a lot of the story of uh, the scriptures and growing up. But I think my high school years and, and beginning college, I think there was a lot of doubt and a lot of wonder. Um, I, and I probably really was living more like an atheist or agnostic or just uncaring entirely. Um, but when I was in college here at UW-Green Bay, yeah, I remember I met a number of guys who I thought were incredibly weird um, because of how they talked about Jesus. And I ended up going to a men's conference and just really being confronted with my sin as I as I listened to them confess their sin. And, um, and I knew something was wrong with me. I mean, I knew I was broken. A handful of months later, I would say that I came to the Lord um, as I was reading 1 John 5, 11 through 13. It talks about that we can, we can know that we have eternal life. And um, remember, yeah, just such relief in the grace that God, God has loved me so much through Christ. I can know that I have eternal life. And uh, and I just, yeah, I think that was probably the time when I came to faith if that was uh, not present there before. So, yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jones? Um, you know, I, I remember finding this uh, little three by five card that talked about me praying to receive Jesus when I was three, um, when I was a bit older. But, I mean, my story is a bit wandering. Um, my parents split up when I was young, and so I had sort of this unusual experience of my father was a pastor, my parents split up, uh, and so I got this kind of strange view of what is normal. Um, and so I just sort of stumbled along. I had uh, a powerful experience in college with uh, just university ministries there, and then just wrestling with doubt a lot. And I remember thinking... Uh, my apartment burned down my last year of university, and uh, I had $7,500 uh, from an insurance check, and I thought, I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm going to give this a year. And if after the first year, uh, I'm going to try to figure out my faith. And uh, and so after the first year, I thought to myself, you know what, I think I'm going to be a Christian for the rest of my life. And then lightning hit a tree and fell in my car, and I'd run out of money. Uh, and, uh, and so I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go another, another semester. And after the second year, I thought I might do this for a living. Mm. <laughs> so, and then I stayed five years and, and now I work as a pastor. But so I, I think I came to faith when I was really young, but, um, a strange story of, I think seminary mm. really sort of solidified of like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Mm, I think cool. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. That's very cool. Um, Tell us about your work amongst Muslims. Yeah, sure. Uh, my wife and I, as I said, we, we lived in the Middle East for several years. We, we just moved back to the United States several months ago um, and are still getting used to living in the land of cheese and brats and 
Oh, so many beverages. And so, uh, the promised land. As some would say. Some would the, say. As some yeah. might say. The promised or land. Or idolatry. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, <clears throat> there's a lot of things there in the promised land. Anyway, I think, yeah, so we, when we were there, we did a number of different things. Um, but when it came to uh, ministry, we spent the most time with university students. Um, we did uh, a lot of work with a uh, local church plant. Um, that had started in our city. Our city had 3 million people and only 60 known believers. So if you had a pulse in the city, it was likely you were not a Christian. And so every day in and out, uh, meeting people and being asked the questions, uh, the same questions over and over again, uh, why you're a Christian and why you're not a Muslim and things like that. So um, so yeah, a lot of our context was with university students and in a local local church in the Middle East. So when people ask you that question, were they asking it in a hostile way or in a curious way? I think... 95% of the time it was just curious, hmm. right? I, very rarely would we, would I say I ever experienced anyone as hostile towards me. And normally the hostility was not uh, because I was a Christian, but it was, it was usually because I was an American hmm. uh, and different policy things, things that were happening. Um, they loved Americans, but didn't always like America. And so my nationality was what created a barrier, sometimes more than being a Christian did um, in the Middle East. So I don't know if this should go in the podcast or not, but I'll ask a question that has an obvious answer, but I think is important for us to ask. So are you saying that not all Muslims are terrorists? Uh, yes, I'm saying that not all Muslims are terrorists. Are you saying that Muslims that are neighbors we can actually be friends with? Yes. If you can remember, people are people. Yeah. And people all over the world want to do the same things that, that you want to do. You want right. to live peacefully. You want to raise your mm. kids. You want to have money in to, to provide all the things your children would, you know, need. Maybe not always what they want, but, yeah. um, right, they're very much, they're just very much normal people. And I think um, the statistics would show it's less than 10% of, of Islam or Muslims would you actually consider radical. And, and I would say in, in our experience, it's even less than that, yeah. right? Uh, and what was the percentage you shared? Uh, I think it's 10% or less. Okay. They'd say 10% of all of the Muslims in the world. Throughout are, the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Radical, it's, yeah, it's seen much lower. So the reason why I ask that is because I think there's a fear. Mm -hmm. There's just a fear of the unknown. Yep. And not necessarily that it's maybe Muslim, but given our history, maybe that adds to it a little bit. But there will be Muslims moving into our neighborhood sometime. Mm. And I think the question is, should we be afraid mm. or should we be compassionate mm -hmm. and loving. That's why I asked the question. And mm -hmm. I, the, obvi the obvious answer is no. But sometimes I think we let fear get the best of us mm -hmm. and keep us away from people who aren't like us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just important to talk about. So, um, Stephen, tell me a little bit about your ministry with Muslims. And then also, what are the other major religions that you're engaging with as well? So in our world, we, we've lived in Spain and now we live in England. And most of the people that we... Most of the Muslims that we are with are from, uh, they're immigrants or they're first or second or third generations from different countries. I think it was last year in my son's class, there was 30 kids and 23 nationalities. So, uh, you know, um, it's just a melting pot in terms of the people that we're with. And so our work is in, has, has both been in church planning and inviting these immigrant communities that oftentimes will uh, cluster together um, because of trust and because of common language or common um, values. So, uh, yeah, I mean, either from reaching out in terms of people that are in need through church planning or even through employment 
and local uh, like thrift stores and stuff like that that we help run. Um, that's that's our connection. With so Muslims the major there. religions that you're encountering yeah. are Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs. Okay. Question for you is, you know, what is the difference between a Muslim and Islam? I, I'm asking as someone who knows very little about this, and I think that's most Americans, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah. So what's the difference between Muslim and Islam? Right. Islam is the name of the religion. Muslim is the individual within the religion. So so then, so just to bring it over, so it would be the difference between Christian and Christianity. Precisely. Okay, cool. For those, again, like me who don't know a whole lot about Islam, what are the basics of the religion? In Islam, I mean, there are five main pillars. There are five main beliefs. Um, the pillars are prayer, right, that they come and they pray five times a day. Um, which you may have seen in different context movies, TV shows, or if you have a Muslim friend, you've seen them pray, I'm sure. There is almsgiving, or right, they're giving to the poor. They give a percentage. Normally it's maybe 2.5%, or um, it could depend on what people actually make, but it's required of all. Then there's fasting, right? Maybe you've heard of Ramadan, um, right, where there's 40 days of fasting. Um, that's a key pillar within Islam. And then there's pilgrimage, right, going to... Uh, going to Mecca, going and paying homage, going and worshiping Allah at uh, in Mecca. The last one, and, I, and, and probably not the most important, but it's certainly it's the entrance into Islam. Is it's the profession, it's the shahada, it's um, it's praying the prayer that there is no god but Allah and mm. the and the prophet and his prophet is Muhammad. And so that would be the fifth the fifth pillar. Um, as far as their beliefs go, they're not going to be. Incredibly different. Um, I mean, there are some differences, but certainly there's belief in Allah, right, in God. Um, this is this concept in Islam called Tawheed, that God is one. To call anyone or any other thing God, and we'll get into this probably later in the podcast, of uh, at least to call anyone or any other thing God is is shirk or shirk. It's the worst sin you could commit. So it would be like calling Jesus God would be the worst sin. Precisely, okay. yeah, precisely. Um, but then uh, second belief is belief in spirits, so angels or demons. Um, there's belief in the messengers, so um, right, prophets. Um, whenever they talk about characters we know, like David, it will always be Prophet David, Prophet Solomon, Prophet whoever it might be. There's a prophet there, and certainly Prophet, prophet Jesus, they'd say. Um, they have belief in the books, so they do believe in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So they believe in the, in the law, they'd say the Psalms. Uh, the Gospels, right, they, that we, we call our New Testament, and then that the last book to come, and, and the final, the perfect book, is the Quran. It's the only one that hasn't been changed. Um, and then there's books after that called the Hadiths and Sunnah, but, but primarily the Quran. Um, and then the last one is just a belief in resurrection and judgment, right? We relate mm-hmm. on that one. So they do believe there's a resurrection, they do believe there's a judgment, and they believe Jesus will actually be a part of that final judgment as well. So those are kind yeah, of the that's key. fascinating to me because I know so little. Hmm. So it's just, you know, I, I, I learned about my cultural context and there's not a lot of Muslims around here, although I could be probably more adventurous and pursue. Mm. Um, but we do actually have a lot of refugees moving in that I do think come from Muslim backgrounds. They're mostly in apartments right now because refugees obviously don't have a lot of money. But that's really fascinating to me. That article said that it's predicted that Islam will be the second leading religion in America in 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because of the community, because of the community slash here's a list of rules. You can check these boxes slash like why do you think it's attractive 
to pe- why is Islam attracted I mean, to people? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's a lot of procreation. I mean, you're, 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 you're giving out the, the cultural mandate you get in Genesis of be fruitful and multiply. Muslims are following it more than Christians. In general, in okay. general, having more children means that the population will grow. Generally, Christians are going to have less children than Muslims. That probably is just generally going to be true. Not always, but but that's that's I'd say it's generally true. And I thought this was this was just like five or ten years ago, but that Christianity was the fastest growing religion in the world in terms of conversions, but Islam was the fastest growing religion in terms of birth rate, procreation. So in terms of procreation, in terms of people not marrying as much. Muslims generally are going to marry more, and they're generally going to have more children. Hmm. So I think that's an easy metric to follow. Well, and I think it's—I think you're you're coming up against similar things in Christianity, right? The the command is still the same, right? Right. It's to be chaste, right, right. until marriage. That's yeah. it's still there, and it's it will depend on. It's certainly going to depend on family to family in a culture. I mean, where we where we were living, you know, it was ninety nine point eight percent Muslim, but I would say maybe half were actually really practicing, okay. right? And I lived in an area with 80,000 students, and certainly many were sexually active, right? Mm. So there, so even though it's a value, and I would say probably where it becomes even more significant is the purity of a young woman, mm. right? Of right, the, the, that if young women would not be chaste or a virgin, it's it's in that it's culture. A big deal. Yeah, it's certainly a very big deal within uh, their culture. But I read the stat. I think this is from I believe this is from Pew Research that one in five adult U.S. Muslims were raised in a different faith. Right. So that's saying four out of five were born in Muslim homes, were from procreation in a Muslim family. But that means 20 percent, right? One out of every five Muslims will have come from some other faith. But what's attracting them? Yeah. And I I don't I I mean, I guess I'm skeptical that's because they can say we can have a lot of kids. No, no, I guess what is what is attracting? I mean, I think I think secularism is a fertile soil for Islam, because when you when you sort of heard your whole life. You can be whoever you want. Uh, authority's wrong. The expectations of others are what's really wrong with your life. You really need to be the re- the real you. Look into your look into your soul and find the golden nugget that will that will find your true path. I think for a lot of people it doesn't work. In your life, and you're confused, and you're lost. And Islam gives you a New Testament Leviticus. You're you're told exactly what to do and how to do it. And if you do these things, God will be pleased. So some of it is wanting some rigidity in your life. I mean, in some ways, some healthy rigidity. Like, So they want some authority in their life. But also, it does sound like they're really good at community. Yes. At, at, at least in America, probably, because they get each other. And I'm curious. I would think that would be appealing to people as well. Well, I think there's two things, right? Like... If you were to lay down, and obviously we're sitting around a table as uh, Christians, so we've certainly found the message of Christianity yeah. far more appealing, right? Right, and not only that, right? God reached into our dead mm-hmm. chests and gave us beating hearts, but but that in Islam there is a narrative, there is a story, and odd, not oddly, I guess it's it is the story of um, our, our scriptures are there, right? The story that we have in our scriptures is still present in it. It is derivative from, it's derived from Christianity, and so naturally, I think it's. It's attractive in some ways because it's actually fun. God is one. God created all things. And I think what Stephen said, there is um, their lives become ordered, right? Rather than this kind of license-filled secularism where nothing matters and I'm a, right, this ball of atoms. Um, we all know that's actually not true, 
right? We all know, everyone knows that's not true because of how they talk about humans and how upset they are about uh, economy and war and so on and so forth. But um, this says not only is this true, this religion, but we're going to tell you precisely how to live. And you can actually measure how much closer you're getting to God by doing what? By doing these five pillars, right? By believing these five things, because it's not orthodoxy, it's orthopraxy. It's mm. if you do these things, you actually know you have good works. As a Christian, we'd say good works matter, but I even know that my best, we'll say best good work, best good thing I did, I probably didn't do it from the purest of hearts, mm-hmm. right? There's still this this measure of I know I cannot come to God on my mm-hmm. own terms. But, but in Islam, there is the allure of, um, especially in America, Midwestern right. America, Puritan values of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? right? Here's your five things. Do these things yeah. and you're good. Yeah. And I, that's, I think that's incredibly attractive. Yeah. There's and, and Islam, when you look at all the ornateness of mosques and all these things, mm. I think there's some beauty um, that people find in that. Yeah. So, yeah. A reverence that yeah. maybe people are missing from their lives. Yeah. I saw this uh, bumper sticker that said, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And it was referring to Christianity that yeah. having a relationship with God is important. And I think some people long for a religion. Mm. They want to be a part of awe and experience a God that's greater than them. And I think sometimes we've domesticated God to such a mm. cabbage patch kid that he feels smaller than us. Mm. And I think the thought of going into God's presence and it's, I'm little oh. mm. and he's big. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think we long for something that, to be a part of a story that's greater than us. Mm. And sometimes Muslims tell that story better than Christians. Mm. Have you, you know, in the context of, of ministry and just talking with Muslims, have you ever thought, Maybe I should become a Muslim. And why or why not? Uh, for, uh, for me, it's not been a large temptation. I think oftentimes you sort of see you, you see the differences pretty starkly when you're hanging out and when you're inside of a Muslim context. I mean, grace is such a unique thing about uh, Jesus mm-hmm. that at the core of our message is a man who died for his enemies. Uh, and his life for our life, that we get all the credit and he gets all the blame. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty matchless, uh, mm. <clears throat> like I think if somebody came up to me and I had, let's say I had $100,000 of student debt, and he was like, you know what, I'm going to take all of your debt and I'm going to make you a king. I'm going to be friends with that person. <laughs> <laughs> if they let you. If they let you. <laughs> and I think one of the things about Islam that, while I do think there's some nobility in wanting to obey and draw near to God, uh, one of the haunting things about it is if you ask a Muslim that's honest and that is, you know, knows their own heart, when you talk to them about death, they are often very terrified. And if you want to, if you want to stop a conversation, make it pretty awkward, talk about death because they are very afraid of judgment because mm-hmm. because. I would say most of them, maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm overestimating it. They're going to know that they're going to fall short. And so there's a lack of assurance. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the amount of assurance, the luxury of assurance in the Christian faith is so much higher than really than any other faith that I know of. And that, that God loves us so lavishly that he says, you know what? You can bank on death. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with that, right, it's it's the religion where it's uh, it's not based on you, right? That's mm-hmm. why you can have the assurance is because many mm-hmm. things 
based on me, I will fall short, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's up to me, I'm in a whole lot of trouble. And I think that is within Islam. There is there is fear, and and then, and they would say it's it's wrong to actually say you have assurance because you are putting your yourself in the place of Allah. It's only mm. it's up to Allah to choose. It's up to Him, and and even to say Him would be inappropriate, right? He is He is Allah. He is not He, She, Him, Her. It's not mm. it's not any of that language. And so I think the things as you mentioned, Stephen, about nobility. I think uh, the way they hold to God's God's holiness, right? His um, that He is distant, He is far from us, and in a sense where He's transcendent, right? He's above us, more powerful. I think there is an honoring of those things that within Islam we we I think agree with. We agree with, yeah. though we, most Christians maybe don't. We don't think of God. We think of um, Jesus more like a buddy, primarily because that's a narrative that we mm-hmm. hear a lot, but. We don't often think of God as, you know, think Isaiah 6, right? The throne room of, right? And Isaiah coming in and falling down before this holy, magnificent God. You hear those things in Islam. You hear, they will call Allah merciful. And you say, that's right. These things might resonate with you, but, but in essence, it comes down to, can you do more good than evil? And, and then if you can, where will Allah be merciful to accept you? Will he be merciful to accept you? And so when it comes to that, it's it's not all that attractive. It's yeah. terrifying, right? Because yeah. I know how, how terrible I can be yeah. or am, right? Yeah. So I think what I've said from the pulpit multiple times and what I, at least in my scope, understand to be true is that with every other religion, what saves you is faith plus works. That's every religion but Christianity, and Christianity is faith alone by grace alone. Do you feel like that's an accurate statement as far as you know? Even with even with religions where you have to contemplate enough or pray enough or be spiritual enough, mm-hmm. would you say that's a true statement? Yeah, within Islam, certainly, right? When, we, when you talk about um, – you've heard the word orthodoxy, of course, Christian orthodoxy, the things that we – Right, the things that we believe is what makes us Christians. In Islam, it's orthopraxy. Are mm. you practicing the things you need to to be saved? Mm. Are you praying five times a day? Have you said the prayer, Allah is one and Muhammad is his prophet? Have you gone on the pilgrimage? Um, are you giving? Are you doing that? Um, are you fasting? Like those, those are the markers to say I've, I, uh, I can make up for my wrongs I can make. So, yes, it's... It's about what we do, not about what God has done for yes, us. But yet, but yet, there is still the pervasive sense, as Stephen said, the terror of death because they know they still can't do it. They know there's still a discrepancy where they say, we will leave ourselves up to the mercies of Allah. And so mm. there's still that that lack. So I, I would say, mm. yes, what you've said is correct. I would... Mm. Yeah. yeah. You agree? Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. Yeah, and I think What's so great about Christianity is we can be so honest about our sin, and it it knocks us off the performance treadmill and Mm. really allows us to rejoice in a God who loves us. And it's funny because Christianity is almost a religion that only God could think up in one way, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. none of us would think it up this way. All man-made religions are the same in that it's dependent on us, right? Mm. And yet, as we're all fathers, we love our kids unconditionally. Mm. And so to believe that God can't love Better than we can, right? It's, Jesus says, you who are evil, right, <laughs> can love how much greater is God as a father. Mm. And so in some ways, in every other religion, 
we're a better dad than God is because he can't love us unconditionally. But I know dads, no matter what religion you are, that can love your kids unconditionally, no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. So anyways, really, that's really fascinating to me. Um, what are some of the some of the difficulties or barriers in sharing the gospel with Muslims? And maybe also contrasting to that, what, how is it easier than maybe people might think too? Mm-hmm. Maybe let's start with barriers. What are some of the barriers to sharing the gospel with Muslims? I think that there's, there's, there are some catechisms. There's certain things that Muslims are ready for. The Bible is corrupt. Uh, Jesus can't be God's son. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's a number of these that when you speak with someone, you're very, it's written off because these things are already true. And so what Christians will oftentimes do is, oh, you don't think that Jesus is God's son? Let's talk about this. And that is um, not the best way to, to move forward. <laughs> okay. So, so, so why, why do they not think Jesus is God's son? Because Allah is one. Yeah. So, I, so the idea that, uh, m- not most, I would say some Muslims will say that uh, God had sex with Mary and then the, the idea that God could have sex with Mary and then have a baby like Jesus is blasphemy. Mm-hmm. You are making God dirty. Mm. And, and the symbol of his dirtiness, you want me to worship. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, we would agree, I mean, right? That's, that's part of it's just a misunderstanding of what they think we believe, right? I mean, I can think of a number of times when someone said, right, because you believe that there's, uh, there's this God, there's Jesus and Mary. That's your three kind of gods, right? And so I think that's, right, that's part of what they're, they're drawing on. There's some of that thought. Um, I mean, part of it is that idea I said earlier of shirk um, or shirk, depending on how it's pronounced, that the greatest sin is to say that Allah is not one, um, that there is anyone who can be equated with God in any way. And part of the problem is, and I think as Christians, we, um, we don't often uh, think or dwell on this. Um, and, not, and that's not saying everyone, of course, but right, our God, we believe in a trinity, a tri-unitarian God. He is one God. So part of the misunderstanding is he's one God, one being, and three persons. But when we say three persons, when we talk about Jesus, they, right, they hear three gods. God. Naturally, sure. naturally. Yeah. Right, the early church mm-hmm. was wrestling with this. That's that's part of what some believe um, was was some of the dominant view, that there was a heresy in in the area where Muhammad grew up. And so that, so he even himself was growing up hearing potentially that. Why? Mm-hmm. That's why you hear some of this language within the Quran as well. And so I think it's that that's because that's the greatest sin. And I think because we don't know necessarily what they're responding to. That's why when Stephen said, okay, let's jump into this son of God piece. We have to be careful because we're pressing on the very core of what they're going after. Not careful to not talk about it, but careful to understand what the actual misunderstanding is, mm. right? You must say, no, 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 no. God is one. Yes, God is one. Of course he's one. I can never say he's not one. The scripture is mm-hmm. clear. God is mm-hmm. one. But he is a being that is so far beyond me. I cannot understand him. And how God reveals himself in his word is one God, three persons. Mm-hmm. They are distinct, but they are persons. They are still one God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's just a key thing, I think, when a Muslim understands you're not saying three gods. Even if they'd say that doesn't make sense, you say, yeah, no, I get that. I don't get yeah. it either, right? You just um, bought a clover. And <laughs> check out this. Three leaves, Have you ever one seen an clover. Apple? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like if you meet somebody on meth. 
Like you don't go for the meth the first thing. Okay. <laughs> like yeah. you if you if if someone is if someone is not married and they're together, like you don't say you see this scoundrel right here you're sleeping with every, you know every <laughs> week. Right. Get rid of him. Right. You invite them into the gospel. Yeah. I mean, but that which is most precious to us is the hardest thing for us to give away. Yeah. And so finding bar- like finding like more like easier on ramps. Of something that's huh, find commonalities that. first like, before you get to the major. Yeah, like we can we can affirm their view of the holiness of God, mm. right? And that in God some is way. one, right? Yeah, God, God is, is one. one. Yeah, yeah. So we can affirm, or some even of those like things. that you're made in the image of God. Like one, I was uh, somebody friends of ours were sharing the gospel with this with these Muslims, and it said, "Well, because you've been made in the image of God, and that means you're important and valuable, and then He's made you to rule the world." They said, "I want to know where that scripture is." <laughs> They wanted to, they, and they believe in Genesis. I mean, so you can go there, right? But the idea of the image of God is a unique idea. Mm. Yes. So, so the, the the idea that you are like this library that there's so much depth to you because you have been made in God's image, like that. That's sort of a that's a that's a very compelling idea because they don't know that. Mm. And so, having things that that may be outside of their sort of frame of reference. That's a part of the good news of the gospel, that everyone's made in the image of God and everyone has inherent value. For someone who is, let's say, on the periphery of, of Islam or a Muslim that's struggling, the fact that God would validate them, someone mm. that's so far off, mm. that he puts his own stamp on their face. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, that's very winsome. Mm. So you guys mentioned – so two theological barriers. One is that Jesus would be God's son. The other you mentioned was the scripture. Yes. And that's corrupt. What What do you mean by that? I mean that's – this is – what's so strange about this belief is you will not necessarily find this anywhere in the Quran. There's nothing that says the scriptures were corrupted. Uh, it says that the interpretations of the scriptures were corrupted. I, I point this out because it's because all of my Muslim friends who I love dearly would say, of course, you know, the Bible's been changed. You can't believe that, right? Even part of the storyline that they believe is that God sent Moses and gave him revelation, gave him the Torah or the first five books of the Bible. Those are corrupted. So what did God do next? Well, God sent David. David mm. gave the Psalms or, or these other writings, and that re- those were corrupted, of course. Then mm. Jesus came, a great prophet, um, but his writings were corrupted as well. He didn't, and of course, part of this is they also believe he doesn't die. He didn't die. That's mm. that's certainly that a key, who didn't die. That Jesus, Jesus didn't die, die on the cross. Um, that someone did die on the cross, but that person was not it Jesus. It was Jesus. someone in his likeness was switched okay. with Jesus. Because how could? a prophet of God be killed, mm. right? And so so there's part of this narrative that's building, right, of now we finally have the last book. Why? What was always the problem? It's not sin. It's that, well, in some ways it is sin, but it's that God's revelation has been corrupted and we need to get the right revelation. Right? And Muhammad gave it to them. And Muhammad comes as the last prophet, the final prophet, and with the final word to be spoken. And so this is, I mean, this, of, of all the problems, this is really the chief the chief issue, because if if God's word is not changed, if we can have confidence that God's word is not changed, and then if there are discrepancies between the Quran and the Bible, both cannot be correct. And I would say I would emphasize just a, a, even more on this in that the story from, we'd say, Genesis to Revelation, right? The Torah, the Psalms, the other prophets, um, and Jesus up, up until the end of the New Testament, it's telling one story. 
And that story does not tell the story that the Quran is telling. Mm. It almost sounds like it's an anti-evangelism defense mechanism mm-hmm. that's sewn into their religion of, let me tell you, if you ever hear about Christianity, here's why it's yep. corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. And then you don't even need to talk about it, right? In yeah. the same way, here's the three things. I just need to point to these. And when you say, yeah, of course, I believe the Bible. Yeah, of course, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, of course, Jesus is the son of God. They say, yup, I knew it. Right. I'm walking yeah. away. Big, big rocks out. in their faith yeah. are the opposite. Peace out. Yeah. So don't go for that right away. Well, they're important, right? They, right. They're, um, yeah, but it's not where you start. You don't Because you're throwing up all the wall, all the barriers right away, yep. right? Instead of some commonalities and things like that. So let's just say that you lived in a neighborhood in America mm. and a Muslim moved in three doors down from you. How would you approach pursuing them with the gospel? Hey, everybody. We have a lot more on how to share the gospel with Muslims. We just have too much content to fit into one podcast. And so we are going to have part B of this podcast next Tuesday. You can check it out and download it. Then there is so much good material. I did not want to cram everything in and edit a bunch out. So please Check in next Tuesday, download the podcast, and listen to the rest of it. Thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of Getting the Gospel Out. Hope it was a blessing and informative to you and that God uses it, uh, that you might share the gospel with those who are precious to him. If you want more information about what we're doing, please go to www.gettingthegospelout.org. If you like our podcast and like what we're doing, we're on Google Play. Also on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and give us a rating. Let's get the gospel out because the power is not in the messenger of the cross. It is in the message of the cross through the Holy Spirit. And those who receive it will have eternal life and heaven will rejoice. Gotta warm up the vocal cords. You're such DUS. Such DUS. All right, you ready?